my nervousness is rising because I could see myself ending up in a Bulgarian jail. You have your show. We leave on Tuesday. You leave some dirty venue at like 3 a.m. It's a Sunday night. I move to Mississippi. You drive halfway to someplace, sleep for like two hours, and join the bluegrass band. Well, hey there, people, gather around. It's the whole room is just singing. Like the room is just alive with song. This is the Tour Denver Podcast. For more information about Tour Denver or our sponsors, please visit RacketourDenver.com. Welcome to Tour Denver. Today's event is Tales from the Tour. So whether you've stumbled here by accident or you're here on purpose, um, you are now part of a storytelling evening. Hooray! <laughs> I'm Amber Blaze, and this is David Reinhardt, and um, tonight we'll be your guides as we travel the world on tours. I just want to take a minute and thank our sponsors from the evening. Our sponsors are Carbon Beverage Cafe, Denver Bicycle Cafe, Pete Beland, and KGNU. And I also want to thank Infinite Monkey Theorem for hosting us tonight. Yay! <laughs> Our final storyteller this evening is Stefan Brackett. Stefan is a musician in the Denver band Flowbots, where he goes by the moniker Brer Rabbit. Um, he's also a teacher, an activist, and one of the founders of Youth on Record. Uh, but don't turn your back on him because I know from personal experience that he has a penchant for tricksterism. So everyone, please help me welcome Stefan to the stage. Tour stories. Uh, when Amber asked me about this, I think she approached me. She's like, well, Stefan, you've been making music a long time, so you have tons of tour stories. And I was like, oh, not really. Um, sometimes I think touring, like once you've made it, is, um, it's a bit like uh, the Bill Murray movie Groundhog Day, where you, you wake up, rinse, repeat. Like you drive into, you have your show, you leave some dirty venue at like 3 a.m. You drive, sometimes if you're in a bus, if you're lucky enough to be in a bus, you drive overnight and you wake up in the morning in a new city. If you're in a van, you drive halfway to someplace, sleep for like two hours, then drive again in a new city. Each neighborhood that you go to in a new city is the same neighborhood. It's the one that's like just on the border of gentrification, like a Starbucks is coming in like three months type of thing. That's where the venues are. Like when you look at where venues normally are, it's the same place. So it felt a little bit like when I signed up for becoming a musician and we actually kind of made it, it felt a little bit like I'd been recruited for World War I. It's like, see the world! Like, oh no, you're just going to be in the trenches. This sucks. Um, I mean, I'm not painting it fully. It's not, it's not nearly as bad as that for any of the World War I veterans. I hope I didn't offend you. Um, but uh, I'm about 13 years into it now. And I started realizing like, this disappointment that I was feeling with having made it, I really had to look into it. Like, let me, let me hold it up and peer into it. And like, what is the source of this disappointment? And I realized it's because I watched way too many musicals when I was a kid. Like, somewhere deep in me, I thought somehow like a show would start where it's like, well, hey there, people, gather around. And somebody comes in with a tuba, like somebody else comes dancing in, like, and then the whole room is just singing. Like, the room is just alive with song. And the clouds start singing, gets kind of Looney Tunes. Somewhere in there, I thought that that's what it was. And I had to deal with the fact, like, oh, that's not, 
that's not what happens when you tour. And unlike most people, what I ended up doing is like, well, how do I make it happen? Is, is there a way to kind of get to that dream, to kind of a bit more of that reality? And so I started thinking about like, well, how do people used to tour? Because it felt like what I was doing was going into towns and asking people for money. Like, okay, no, I've got this CD, give me money. All right, I'm going to get up here, I've got this dope show, give me money. And then that would, be, that would be the exchange. I didn't get to, like, know people's names. I didn't get to know, like, your family or what's the name of your dog. What songs do you sing? What gets you going? Like, none of that stuff. It just, everything became commodified. It kind of became like being in a coffee shop where you see all this beautiful artwork up and there's a little placard that says, all artists for sale. That's what it started feeling like for me. So I was like, well... This isn't how music's always been done, right? Like, there's a point in time where, you know, like, you have your traveling, freaking minstrels and bards, like, traipsing through, telling the news, all this stuff, like, sitting down. Or, like, there's a time in, like, the 30s and stuff where blues musicians would actually come and play baseball games the day before a show. And, like, that way you actually had a, like, people would, you got to know people and they would come to your show, too. So it actually made sense. So I started looking at that and, like, saying, like, is there a way for us to maybe try a tour like that? And so we ended up getting together with some folks in Colorado Creative Industries, and we created this thing called the Detour. And the whole idea of the Detour was that we'd show up in a town, and we'd be there for three days or two days, and we'd play nursing homes, pep rallies. I remember I did three or four classes for like a second grade classroom. And we're talking about, it was beautiful. It was incredible. But then the, the, the dopest thing about it was, like, the first day, let's say we're in the nursing home. Second day, we're at the pep rally. Third day, we're playing a festival. And all the people who are there from the other two days have come now, who come to the other show. And while we're sitting down and, like, working with folks, we're wanting to learn what their songs are. So at some part, point in time in our set, we sing the songs that they've taught us. And it was amazing. And, like, I was getting a little bit closer to a scene from, like, The Music Man or something. Like, but... <laughs> But it wasn't quite there yet. And I was like, maybe, maybe it's just a pipe dream. This will never happen. Like, I'll, I'll never get there. Um, the stuff that I saw on the detour was ridiculous. Like, how many people have been to Mesa Verde? Have been, like, to the, the cliff dwellings? All right, so you guys have been to the bunk Mesa Verde. We ended up going, like, a, a, one of the people that we met was the son of a chieftain of the southern, mountain, uh, the southern Ute Mountain tribe. So he ended up taking us to some cliff dwellings that are in southern Colorado. And I'm talking about, like, when you're walking through there, there's no signs. There aren't a bunch of, like, kids groups. It's just you and the silence of millennia, right? Like, there was a point in time I was walking, and, like, Ernest, who was the chief's son, had to stop my foot because there was a 500-year-old meal just sitting there, like, corn on the cob, some bones. I was about to, like, low-key do some major archaeological damage not even know what I was doing. Like, this is what it was like, like, being able to do this. And at the same time, like, he actually took us to a powwow. Like this massive power where all these folks from all over the region came. And like they, they invited the group, they invited the band up in the middle of like everybody doing the regalia and their dances. They're like, hey, everybody, we'd like to welcome our special guest, the, the Flow Boats. Like, okay, we'll take it. We'll take it. It's like, I'm not going to correct these folks. This is fantastic. I'm just honored to be here. Um, there's another place that we're in this town, Rangeley, Colorado. And they have this feature called the tank. It's the largest freestanding reverb tank in the country. So, like, it's this old water tank. You can walk into it, and you can sing a note, and the reverberation lasts, is it about 30 seconds, Adam? Something about 30 seconds, so you can harmonize with yourself. And we ended up having big community song sessions in there. 
We're like, we're, we're singing songs. Everybody's harmonizing with themselves. Like about 40 people that we sang with at a church earlier, all these things. It was incredible. Still not what I was looking for. And I don't know. It was really unrealistic. But um, our last, one of the last days of the tour, like the last three days, we're in this town called Joe's, Colorado. Anybody ever heard of Joe's, Colorado? Susie's heard of it because she was there. Joe's, Colorado is called Joe's because three dudes named Joe created it. It's not a joke. The town population is 60 people. Earlier in the day, we played a pep rally. Like, we joined the pep rally before the big game. So we came up, we did our raps, all that stuff, and then, like, the four cheerleaders came up, did their thing, the band was playing, and then about halfway through the rally, half of the band up and left because they were also the team. Like, I was, I was like, oh, yeah, the guys in the cowboy boots and the jerseys, of course, yeah, all right. Go off and play. But Joe's is so small that they play six-man football, okay? And they have to combine with two other schools. So that's, that's Joe's Colorado. And so like, I was thinking, like, okay, I've spent all this time trying to make this musical dream happen. It's not going to happen in this town of 60 people. Well, we'll still have some fun. And uh, so the last day, we were there at a community center in Joe's Colorado. They're very proud of it. It was a beautiful building. Probably the main room was about the size of this room. And when we, like throughout the day, people started just kind of showing up. There's this one dude named Rodney Mullen, not Mullins, because that would be a really awesome story. But uh, this one's still cool. Um, Rodney Mullins was a guy who was inducted into the Colorado Country Hall of Fame. And he and I sat down. He was showing me all these banjo tricks, all these things. He shared a, I was sitting in his uh, pickup truck, and he was sharing me some of his, his demos. And he had this one song that I'll never forget. The lyrics were... Um, if I had shot you when I met you, I'd be out of jail right now. And I was like, man, Rodney, that says a lot. It was a really dope song. I mean, I, I don't have a mind really for lyrics, even though I'm a rapper, but like, I will never forget Rodney's song. So like, Rodney was there, and like, people, people slowly started showing up. At first, there was like 15 people in the room. And then as it got closer and closer to showtime, there were 60 people in the room. I'm like, oh, holy crap, we got the whole town. And as a musician, like, even if we're like, we've never played the Pepsi Center, but even if you're playing the Pepsi Center, how many people does that hold? Like 50? How many? 70,000. So what's the population of Denver? So it's not even a, a meaningful fraction. But here we were in Joe's, Colorado, and by the time the show started, around 100 people showed up. So that's more numbers than we've ever seen percentage-wise anywhere. So we're killing it. Like, we are killing it. But the coolest thing about that night was, okay, Flowbots came up. We played a few songs. Then somebody else was like, hey, man, um, can I play this song? We're like, yeah. And then, like, the guy who's doing tour managing would get on the drums. And then somebody else from, like, random out of the audience would come up and get on the bass. And people started playing. And the show that we thought was going to be a 45-minute set ended up being a six-hour hootenanny. <laughs> right? So, like, we're doing flow bots, and then we're doing, like, I got friends in low places, and then, like, low rider, and then, like, one point in time, we're doing, like, this freestyle thing, and this woman just pops out of nowhere, busting the baddest ass, like, flute solo, and it started, I'm like, wait, wait, is it happening? Is it happening? And then at one point in time, during the night, like, everybody's like, Frank, 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 and this dude comes out, like, he's wearing these cowboy boots, had about, like, 500 miles on him, right? He has a, his, um, Baseball cap, nice big band of sweat. He's just walking up. I'm like, what is Frank going to do? Everybody's hyped. He sits down at a, on a bench, and I'm like, is he going to like beatbox? What is, 
what's this guy going to do? Then out of his back pocket, he pulls out these two spoons and just <laughs> lights it up. And everybody's like, ah! Like the whole time. Everybody's going crazy and like, like, like hitting, the, hitting the solo. And I think, I can't remember what it was, but then like somebody in the band started coming in. I think they started playing like War Pigs or something on top of it. It was just, and like, it was amazing. And then like the woman whose like house that we were staying at, this older woman, at one point in time, she got up and sang this song because she wanted her son to sing the song. She's like, you got to sing it. You got to sing it, Eric. I'm like, like, what is this song? And it was a, a song that Eric had written called Big Bad Burrito. And it's like, the lyrics are like, big, bad, big, bad burrito. Got me a girl and she's really neato. And the whole town knew it. The whole town knew it. It was just, it was slaying. It was slaying. And honestly, y'all, it was the best music performance I'd ever been to. Because I, for one, it wasn't about like, being on the stage can actually be really isolating. And I feel like, especially if you're going to hotel rooms and all these things, like you're not actually connecting with people. But we had sat down, we had broken bread with folks, we'd been at their nursing homes, we'd been at their pep rallies in like elementary schools, stayed in like their couches, all these things. And my goodness, like I would say, even though there's like 100, 110 people there, I'd say probably 90% of them were part of the performance. When it came to like singing the songs, like... There was, no, there was no division between band and audience. And like, for the first time in my life, I really felt like that musical thing was happening. And that flautist hopping out of nowhere was icing on the cake. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tour Denver. If you enjoyed the podcast and live in Denver... Join us on September 12th at Barrel's Beer Room for our next event with the theme of pets. Here's a reminder to head to RackandTourDenver.com where you can find upcoming events, speaker bios, podcasts, and more. Each episode of Tour Denver showcases music from local musicians. This episode features music from Stefan Brackett.